On Monday, the IPCC will present its latest report. It's the third part in a series where the best climate scientists in the world present their insights on climate. Part one was about the science of climate change and part two was released last month. And that built upon the first part by explaining what all this means for us. So what is the impact on climate change? So what we will see tomorrow is a report that built upon the previous two reports. So once we know what is going on, we know the science, and once we know what the impacts will be, it is logical that the last and third report uh, answers the question, so what does this mean? What, what are we going to do about it? And that is exactly what this report tomorrow is it's about so it says what what the government should do it all says what you and i should do but of course it's it's first and foremost aimed for the government what they should do and it's presented tomorrow morning at 11 a.m in geneva and there's a six hour time difference with eastern time uh, so for us that's like five o'clock in the morning when the report is presented. So by the time that you wake up in America, you can read about it in the newspapers on what was in the report. Or perhaps you will not. It depends whether it gets the attention that it deserves. So anybody uh, that is uh, will be listening live to the presentation tomorrow will very likely be sleeping now. Now one of the, the key questions for me is if it will get the attention that it needs, because there's an extreme urgency needed in tackling the climate crisis. But our leaders have other crises to deal with. They always had some kind of other excuse, and this time they really have a very serious other crisis on their hands. Several, actually, apart from Ukraine, there's still a pandemic. Uh, there's also an energy crisis. Uh, you could say there's an economic uh, crisis looming, or at least the economy needs a lot of attention. So part two, the all-important report that warned the world on what the impacts of climate change will be for you and me, for countries, for economies, for, for, for nature and environment, of course, that came out just after Russia had invaded Ukraine. And this was super important. It should have been right on the table of any world leader and it should have been the headline in any newspaper in the world but actually it hardly got the attention it needed it was mainly discussed between people that are already interested in climate change that are already convinced that uh, there is the urgency um, so it it quickly moved to the to the back pages of the newspapers now i fear that the same thing will happen tomorrow um, and if it, we, we simply don't have the luxury of time anymore to ignore this urgency. And this is the report that will explain how governments and the public can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. It's about anything from uh, renewable energy to growing more trees and forests or, or how to suck carbon out of the air. And this report is based on thousands of scientific papers from the last seven years, because these, these IPCC reports, they normally come out uh, every six, seven, eight years. There's not, not a real rule for it, but let's say on average, it's about seven years. And uh, so this is part three in of, of the sixth uh, report uh, that is coming out. There will actually be a census report that comes out in October, so just before uh, COP27 is uh, starting in Egypt. And this, this, the key document that will be published tomorrow 
is the summary for policymakers. And that is relatively short. It is just some, some 20, 30 pages. I think for, for part two, it was 30, 34 pages, I remember. And that is full of, of short messages and data. And uh, this let, let's have a look at this previous report because it says something about the urgency that I just, just mentioned. So this report said that widespread damage is already occurring. And uh, people and uh, animals are already dying in heat waves and storms and all kinds of other disasters that are fueled by global warming. And it, it warned for biodiversity. Hundreds of, of plants and animal species have, have disappeared from local areas, uh, both at, on land as well as uh, in, in the oceans. Uh, it, it wrote about weather extremes that have pushed millions of people towards uh, food and water insecurity. And they've, it, it has battered infrastructure and it, it has caused uh, all kinds of supply chain disruption. And this damage is being compounded when climate impacts coincide. So uh, a heat wave occurring in an area that is already suffering drought. And some losses, losses, for example, those resulting from the death of coral reefs or the melting of glaciers are irreversible in our lifetimes, not just our lifetimes, but irreversible in, in, in the foreseeable future of hundreds or thousands of years or sometimes even longer. And sometimes it's even forever because let's say when a species dies out because of climate change, you can wait as long as you want, but that species will never uh, never somehow get back and uh, so there there are uh, there are tipping points that once you pass those you will just never never get back uh, to to where we were so um, the, this compounded risk is not only that let's say within the climate sphere the one climate uh, uh, extreme the one climate risk is is uh, compounding uh, other climate risks, so let's let's say heat wave during a drought, um, but you also see it much more happening now all over in society. So you see it within the environmental sector. So let's say that, that pollution and climate come together, or biodiversity loss and nature loss comes together with climate. But it's also if you just look at what is happening right now in the news, you see now also compounded risks. The fact that. Uh, or the or the assumption that the report will tomorrow uh, get much much less attention than it actually deserves is uh, has to do with the war in Ukraine. So these are compounding risks. Now the war in Ukraine leads to energy shortages. So that's another risk that is related to it. The war in Ukraine will also lead to a rising of food prices all over the world, and that will ultimately lead to uh, hunger and potentially also to further political destabilization in, in, in other countries in the world. So all these uh, these risks are, are finely connected to each other and increasingly so in a much more, much more globalized, connected world, which is becoming much more, it's, it's just becoming much more vulnerable by all these kind of interconnections. So... Uh, the, 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 that second report also called for a complete revision of the way that humanity lives alongside nature. So just uh, tweaking a little bit our social and economic systems 
that that is not the way uh, to get there. Um, so in, instead, we just need a complete transformation of the way that that we run our lives on this planet. And of course, that is a, a huge, huge uh, challenge uh, for for policymakers in the world, especially since we don't have one country, but we have uh, nearly 200 countries in the world, and they all have completely different interests. Now, there's a limit to how much we can adapt. Uh, conditions can become so extreme that the, the risks are completely unacceptable. So it, in many cases, you can still uh, adjust a little bit. Let's say for me, as a Dutchman speaking, um, if the sea level rise, uh, we can, in, in the beginning, we can, we can deal with that. We can build higher dikes or we can widen the rivers or we can, we can take some other measures. But there is a point, there, there's not, uh, you cannot build an in, infinitively high dike. I mean, there is a point that the water pressure gets so high that it's impossible to, to stop that with the dike. And that is, in, in, uh, in, in any country, you have those kind of hard limits. So you have like hard limits and soft limits. And for these hard limits, there are often just no clear solutions. So let's say people living in uh, the Sahara or the Sahel area, where it's getting hotter and hotter several months a year, it gets now so hot that it really becomes difficult to stay alive. And by 2050, you will have huge areas in uh, Northern Africa where normal healthy people will not be able to live. And so th that is a hard limit. You're, you're just passing the limit of where people can still live. Or let's say a low-lying island can for a while prevent a little bit uh, the, the, the sea level rise washing away the houses, etc. But there is a clear limit. You cannot, if, if your island is just one meter above sea level, like many of these atoll islands are, uh, you you cannot survive if there's two meters of sea level rise. So eventually they will be engulfed by, by sea level rise. And you see that some plants and animals have already hit these hard limits. Take coral reefs, for instance. See what, what is happening right at the moment in, um, uh, in, in the, I believe it's now the sixth uh, coral bleaching event in, uh, in the past 10 years or so. I have to double check the numbers. But the, the coral bleaching... Uh, that used to be a really extreme event in the Great Barrier Reef is now again taking place. And there's uh, coral can normally, after a bleaching event, uh, can, has the strength to, to grow back. But if you have too many bleaching events um, at the same time, you will lose all or practically all of your, your coral. And so that is another hard limit. And um, if, if you go above this one and a half degrees, we will hit quickly more and more of these kind of hard limits. And we are already at about 1.1. Some, pe some people say it's only one degree Celsius, others say it's 1.2. It depends a bit on where you, uh, what you define as, as pre-industrial. Uh, but let's keep it at 1.1 at the moment. So above this one and a half degree Celsius warming, uh, people that, for instance, rely on glaciers for fresh water and think about the the uh, about two billion people relying on the meltwater from the glaciers of the Himalaya, uh, they will face acute shortages. They will first see too much water melt, and then uh, once it continues, they will have water shortages. So you talk about two mil two billion people 
in uh, South and Southeast Asia that, that rely on the waters from the Himalaya. So um, at, uh, when, it, when you hit two degrees, a lot of important food crops that we need to feed the people in the world won't grow anymore in many places. And add to that, there's another compounded risk that there's not enough water, so it's heat and water. So um, a lot of these, these impacts will also be irreversible. So nature is really in trouble and, and every world region faces a high risk of more species losses and losses and extinctions. Um, and uh, scientists predict that if you have this one and a half uh, degrees Celsius warming, uh, scientists expect that three to uh, 14 percent of the world's species on land could vanish. So most of at risk are uh, coastal species and they face uh, future sea level rise also because they often depend on the seasonal river flows that will be disrupted by drought. So they are extremely vulnerable and uh, plants and animals cannot easily move to, to other areas. Some can, especially in, in, in the middle of the oceans, uh, they, they can swim away from the heat. They are actually already doing that. So fishes are fish are or fishes, I should say, because we talk about um, several species. So fishes are already moving away from from the equator. Um, uh, the the second report of the IPCC also said uh, that we need to conserve 30 to 50 percent of of land on Earth and fresh water and oceans. So this is this goal that I recently discussed um, with Alistair Doyle on last Thursday that uh, the UN Convention on Biodiversity is also discussing. You may remember for those who listened that uh, in August there will be this um, Kunming uh, meeting in China, um, the, the, the COP15 of, um, on biodiversity, which is should ideally be um, a kind of Paris agreement um, but then on biodiversity and not on climate. Uh, it is very doubtful if, if that is really going to happen, but it's, it's very difficult to predict because ultimately you, you know only in the last hours of such a conference whether you will really succeed or not because nothing is decided until everything is decided as it often works in uh, multi, uh, multinational, uh, multilateral diplomacy. Uh, which is also multi multinational, of course, because all nations in the world participate in uh, such a big event. So, uh, aside from from uh, uh, all kinds of um, human health risks uh, that, that that I already mentioned, several like 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 heat waves and weather extremes, uh, like like people in northern Africa where it gets so hot, or people in in South Asia where they will have water shortages. What you will also see is a rising risk of diseases. Um, because uh, food will be spoiled by more heat. Uh, the, the, it's not only the quantity of water that gets left less, but also the, the quality of water. Um, you will see more uh, insect spreading. Uh, you, you've now, for instance, dengue fever in New York, which was completely unthinkable when I grew up, when, when dengue was like the example of a tropical disease. So when it gets warmer, you see that diseases also uh, spread more and uh, what you will also see is, I mentioned food already, malnutrition is increasing. The, the number of hungry people in the world has since the beginning of the pandemic grown with 161 million. So we're now at about, uh, at about 800 million people that, uh, that don't have enough 
food. And uh, so what you will see with, with more disruptive weather uh, the, and also the, the reduction of the quality of the soil, which is one of the, the, the key environmental problems in the world that is not enough discussed and not enough known by people, um, and add to that there's less uh, 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 pollination because uh, bees and other pollinators are rapidly dying out as, as well as many, uh, many other insects. Um, so you see all these impacts. You will also see it on uh, fishery, for instance. Um, and, uh, and a lot of fish rely on those coral reefs. So that's another one of those compounded risks where if coral reefs are dying, it also impacts uh, fish that are not coral, but they need the coral to, to, to live there. And it's their source of food. There's a huge biodiversity in coral reefs. Just, just imagine any picture you've seen on television of coral reefs and compare it to somewhere in the mid-ocean. Um, those are, are really important biodiverse areas. So, um, and yeah, and I mentioned already, I, I wrote about it, the impact of what happens in Ukraine on uh, food supplies in the world. So food prices will increase. And what uh, we will also see is that um, uh, the, the, the food supply chains will also be disrupted. And all these food prices are connected in the world because ultimately the richest people can still buy food because there's always some food available. So the poorest and the most vulnerable that may be living far away from, from Ukraine and Russia itself, uh, they, they will suffer. So this is another one of those uh, compounded risks. So what, um, uh, what, what this, this last IPCC report, that's the one we know because the one that comes out tomorrow we, we don't know yet, the, the third part of the same report I should say, um, is a, it contained a stark warning, and I suppose that will be repeated tomorrow, but we will only know that tomorrow, uh, a stark warning that people should prepare, that we need to adapt, um, uh, because the, uh, the, the, the way that the climate is changing and the impact of climate change are going much faster than we are able to, uh, to adapt ourselves. And again, as, as so often, uh, the, this problem is created uh, by the rich countries, but the countries that feel most of the impact uh, of, of climate change are uh, the poorer countries, often in the south. Um, it doesn't mean that there's any country in the world that can escape this impact, because it, it's, uh, each and every country in the world will be impacted uh, by, by climate change. But the countries that have contributed the least to the problem in absolute terms is, as well as uh, in, in per capita terms, they will be impacted most. And those are also the countries that have the least possibilities uh, to, uh, to prepare uh, for adaptation. They are, let's, you could say they are the least resilient countries uh, to adapt uh, on the changes that, uh, that they will experience. So, um, it is really, really urgent to improve the, the livability uh, while also reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So the, the, the two terms that you always hear is adaptation as well as uh, the mitigation. And you can't talk about climate change without talking about inequality, about equity, about justice. And uh, this, this is uh, it's between countries, it's within countries, there's a gender aspect to it as well. Um, so 
if you really want to uh, to to uh, to be fair, you have to look at this. But also, if you want to be efficient, because if you if you include everybody, if you are more inclusive, you just get better results. So um, yeah. So let me see. Where, here we are now. In in in. So just in a few hours, uh, this report will be released. Um, and that report will tell you and me and our governments uh, what uh, what we should do. And I hope that the list that I just mentioned of all kinds of impacts, and I could go on and on. I mean, this is a report about 4,000 pages. Uh, so these were just some highlights or lowlights uh, is maybe a better word. Uh, it's just a, a, a reminder that this crisis can no longer be ignored. And and we've we've been kicking this can down the road for about 30 or 40 years now. So it's in in 1992 uh, for me as as a memory I just I just started on my very first job in in Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Think about what you did in 1992. Then the world thought that climate change was so important that uh, we established uh, the UNF Triple C um, as a dedicated uh, part of the UN that is really focusing on <clears throat> on the problem of climate change and we are now um, so many so many years further and we we have not achieved much i mean the main thing we have achieved that at least we agreed in paris in late 2015 on uh, on limits and there were quite a few other elements in there that we should also help each other etc but the uh, implementation of those decisions is of course uh, even more essential than than just the principle that we agreed upon. So the report that we will see now tomorrow it's is drafted by scientists, but this summary, as I already mentioned, uh, and that is the key reference document for governments that is edited with the input from every UN member state that wishes to be represented, which is in practice basically everybody. And the beauty of this form is that all governments will accept a report. Basically, they, they signed up to it. But for such a procedure, you pay a very heavy price. And it's the price of a political compromise on top of independent, scientific and peer-reviewed findings. Um, that may result in, it will result, I can confidently say it, it, it will result in, in uh, all all kinds of, of aspects in the text that are being watered down and or sometimes even going completely in the wrong direction. Uh, some governments would love to see much more attention for all kinds of, of yet unproven and, and certainly not up to up to scale techniques such as, as uh, uh, carbon capture and, and, and storage. So uh, to stick with that example, because if this gets a bit of publicity tomorrow, this will likely come up. I believe that uh, the best and the biggest facility in the world uh, that they've built now can capture uh, so much carbon that it's equal to the global emissions of just three or four seconds. Um, it's also equal to, I think, what was it? I think 800 cars driving for a year or so, taking 800 cars off the road. I believe it's something like that. So that is tiny. That is absolutely irrelevant. It's, it's relevant as a, as a testing ground. But uh, this is not the way uh, to, to solve climate change unless we are able to really quickly get this up to scale. Um, but we 
have already the knowledge and the technology and I would say the finances uh, to to solve climate change. We can do it. We just need political will and we need international cooperation uh, between all countries. And of course, we are in a period where international cooperation is uh, really, really in a in a in a very, very difficult period. Just open the newspaper. You know what I'm talking about. So the uh, the IPCC in in its its report tomorrow will probably warn that these kind of techniques uh, are unproven and uh, that they will be really expensive and uh, that it also takes a lot of time to 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 get them up to scale. But you might see that some governments may may force all kinds of favorable language uh, to to end up in the summary. Because you're, you're negotiating there with countries that have completely different agendas. Some countries have a political system where uh, the business community, where the corporations have an absurd amount of influence on the government, much more than in other countries. And there are countries also that live practically for 100% of the, their income or very close to it on the production and export of fossil fuels. And they will ask for text in there that are uh, friendly and nice uh, towards uh, the production of fossil fuel, which is, of course, um, an, an impossible thought when you, when you think about the solution of climate change. 75% um, of the problem is caused by the burning of fossil fuels, and the rest is basically land, land use. So uh, these were just some, some thoughts for tonight. I know that there's not many listeners on this uh, kind of Sunday night uh, monologues and um, it's uh, I'm, I'm glad to see many more listeners during the week but I found in the previous weeks that what I do on a Sunday night without basically any announcement not more than than 15 minutes before I go on air that I just announced that I'm going to talk that afterwards people listen to it so that which um, which convinced me that I should continue to do to do so, uh, but I'm glad that there are a few listeners. If there are questions, uh, you have to raise your hand now and, and, and press on uh, the call in um, um, uh, the call in phone that is at the bottom. Uh, but if not, and I don't really expect that right now, uh, I would like to um, to leave you with this. Um, I will be back tomorrow, as on every Monday at 11 Eastern time. Uh, with the Green Living podcast that I always do together with Vanessa Champion. And uh, of course, I'll also be back on Thursday at 3 o'clock, also every week, same time, same place. Uh, that uh, This is the podcast that I do with Alistair Doyle. And what you normally see is during the week that there's one or two more times that I'm coming up either with a guest or just with some thoughts that I would like to um, to share with you. So thanks so much for, for listening in this kind of spontaneous uh, uh, late evening um, uh, announcement. And um, yeah, thanks for joining. And um, then I hope to, um, hope to see you back in, uh, in the next podcast. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.